What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back at you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing how good will the Buffalo Bills offense be this upcoming NFL season. Also going to be discussing how improved with the New York Jets defense be this year, why Detroit Lions fans should be excited about wide receiver DJ Chark, and NFL head coaches under the most pressure heading into the 2022 NFL season. If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Instagram at JT Sports underscore and on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. How good will the Buffalo Bills offense be in 2022? Last year, this was one of the best offenses in the NFL. They lost offensive coordinator Brian Dable, who is now the head coach of the New York Giants, but Ken Dorsey is going to be replacing him. He has been the quarterback's coach for the Bills since 2019, and he has a very great relationship with Josh Allen. Josh Allen was really happy with the decision for Ken Dorsey to be promoted to OC, and I expect this offense to pick up from where it left off. Josh Allen, to me, last season was the second best quarterback in the NFL behind Aaron Rodgers. If you guys are following me on Instagram, you guys would have known that I did my own all-pro team, and I had Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen as my two all-pros. Josh Allen last year was sensational. He threw for 4,407 passing yards, 36 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. He also had 763 rushing yards, which was second on the team, and had six rushing touchdowns. Josh Allen really took his game to another level in 2021. I feel His 2021 campaign was better than his 2020 campaign, which some people may disagree with, but he really carried the bills on his shoulder in a sense, because if you were to take away what Josh Allen did on the ground for Buffalo's offense last season, they would have had one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL. So for Buffalo this year, My biggest question is going to be for Ken Dorsey, how is he going to get this run game going? Because Devin Singletary had 188 carries, 870 rushing yards, led the team, had seven rushing touchdowns, and averaged 4.6 yards per carry. He's not a terrible running back. It's just that you would love to see way more consistency out of Devin Singletary because we know at the end of the day this is a Bills offense that is going to love to pass the football so you're not expecting Devin Singletary to rush for 150 plus every single game such as what Derrick Henry does for Tennessee however you are looking for a little bit more production out of him you also have rookie running back James Cook who I love a lot I already did a video about him. If you guys haven't seen it already, make sure that you guys go ahead and check that out. But many Bills fans responded to my James Cook segment saying that he's not going to be the RB1. He's more of a gadget player. And I really disagree with those statements because I think too many people are just looking at the label that James Cook has, which is a running back. James Cook is not a running back. James Cook is a weapon. 
Buffalo didn't draft James Cook to simply just be a running back. They drafted him for his versatility. You can line him out wide in the slot and also in the backfield because he has a really good skill set when it comes to catching the football. He has natural hands. He is a phenomenal route runner. You don't see too many running backs who have this kind of polish when it comes to route running, such as James Cook. James Cook is going to be a mismatch if Buffalo decides that they want to run more four wide or five wide sets. You line James Cook outside and you get him matched up against a safety or a linebacker, that's a winnable matchup. So for Buffalo, I really feel when it comes to James Cook, that he has the best overall skill set out of all of the running backs on the roster. Devil Singletary can't catch the ball effectively like James Cook can. On top of that, James Cook is also really good when it comes to running the ball outside. I think that he has a little bit more speed than what many people are giving him credit for. The dude ran a 4-4-2 or 4-4-3 in this past year's NFL Combine. He also has pretty good acceleration. So I think that... There are some Bills fans who are kind of selling James Cook short in a sense. You look at him as just a running back, but I promise you he wasn't drafted to be just a running back. He was drafted to be a weapon, and I think that he's going to bring a different dimension to that Buffalo Bills offense. You also do have Zach Moss, who had 3.6 yards per carry, four touchdowns, and 345 rushing yards. The offensive line improved even though the offensive line was pretty solid last year you brought in offensive guard Roger Saffold your offensive tackle situations are pretty good so I expect this offensive line to be pretty good pick up from where they left off last season or even improve in a sense Gabriel Davis could he be in for a breakout season he didn't really have a lot of volume in the Bills offense in 2021. He only caught 35 receptions for 549 receiving yards. He had six touchdowns. However, he was top 10 in the NFL amongst wide receivers and yards per reception with 15.7. And the reason why many people believe that Gabriel Davis could break out is because if you guys saw his performance in the divisional round and the Bills lost, against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, the dude went on demon time. <laughs> he had eight receptions on 10 targets, 201 receiving yards, and four touchdowns while averaging an amazing 25 yards per reception. It was one of the best performances that I've seen out of a wide receiver in the NFL playoffs in recent memory. You guys got to cut me a little bit of slack. I'm sorry I'm only 20 years old, so I can't recall too many great wide receiver performances in the postseason from the 90s and early 2000s and whatnot. But Gabriel Davis has a really good chance to be a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. And that's something that you rarely don't see. You rarely don't see too many teams that have two Pro Bowl caliber wide receivers. We already know what Stephon Diggs brings to the table. He pretty much has cemented himself as a top five, maybe top three wide receiver in the league. So with Gabriel Davis being able to be in the mix for more targets with the departure of Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders, he should have a very productive 2022 campaign. 
Rookie wide receiver Khalil Shakur out of Boise State is somebody who I'm really intrigued in seeing how Ken Dorsey is going to utilize him in this offense. He's super versatile. He was drafted in the fifth round from this past year's NFL draft. He has great hands. He's fantastic after the catch. Even though he may not look as if he's a running back, after the catch, he kind of shows flashes of being a running back trapped in a wide receiver's body because he is able to break off tackles with ease for some reason. He plays bigger than his frame. He also has a pretty good amount of moves to make you miss. He doesn't just have the ability to run through you, but he can also make you miss with his elusiveness. I think that he has a pretty good skill set to be a serviceable slot receiver his rookie season for Buffalo but I think that his main role in this offense this season is probably going to be more of a gadget player because you do have some pretty tough competition that he's going to be competing with during training camp when it comes to that starting slot role you have Jamison Crowder who is a really good player he was just held back by the New York Jets offense I think that he's one of the better slot receivers in the league and there were times where Jamison Williams was the best wide receiver or not even the best wide receiver the best weapon that the New York Jets had on offense prior to 2021 so you also have Isaiah McKenzie Markewes Stevenson you recently just signed Tavon Austin so you have a good amount of options to choose from when it comes to that slot receiver role I definitely feel that Jamison Crowder is probably going to be my betting favorite to end up getting the start there but we're probably going to see a good amount of rotation throughout that slot receiver spot throughout the 2022 NFL season tight end is a position that I'm really excited about when it comes to the Bills offense you have Dawson Knox who had nine touchdowns 49 receptions and had 587 receiving yards but you signed OJ Howard to a one-year deal for those of you guys who may not remember who OJ Howard is he was a former first round pick out of Alabama from a couple of years ago and his career got off to a pretty solid start however injuries were a big factor he couldn't stay on the field and then once Tom Brady arrived in Tampa Rock Antowski came in town OJ Howard got pushed down the death chart he was behind Gronk Cameron Braid and then on top of that injuries also still played a factor in his role in the Buccaneers offense so over the last couple of seasons he kind of has been a non-factor and many people forget how talented OJ Howard is if you're talking about the most physically gifted tight ends in the NFL OJ Howard is definitely in that conversation he has great speed he can push the field vertically all you really need to do is try to keep him healthy and get him a couple of targets so for Ken Dorsey are you going to try to run a couple of more two tight end sets because I just think that with the talent that you have at tight end with OJ Howard I do would I would love to see OJ Howard somewhat have a small role in this offense okay I just think that with the kind of talent that he possesses I think that he's too good to simply just be left on the bench as a backup behind Dawson Knox. 
I would love to see him have a small factor in this offense because he does possess some traits that could elevate this offense in a sense. He's really good when it comes to making things happen with the ball in his hands because he's not your normal tight end when it comes to speed. He's probably one of the faster tight ends in the game. So if you match him up with a linebacker or a safety it's a mismatch there. There's not too many linebackers that are going to be able to keep up with his speed. And on top of that, there may not be too many peer coverage safeties that can kind of guard him with his size and his physicality. So I would love to see OJ Howard utilize a little bit more. He never was a great run blocker, but he's not a terrible run blocker. He can give you a little bit there in that department. But O.J. Howard is more of somebody who's going to come in on obvious passing downs and maybe try to move him around the offense. He doesn't just have to strictly play tight end, maybe try to line him up in the slot, use him as a big slot in certain situations, use him inside of the red zone. I just think that you can do so much with O.J. Howard if you have a really creative offensive coordinator. And Maybe I'm being a little bit biased because I am a O.J. Howard fan. I was really high on him coming out of Alabama. And he's not bad by any stretch of imagination. The problem with O.J. Howard is simply that he couldn't stay on the field and he kind of got ghosted out of the Tim Bay Buccaneers offense over the last couple of years. But when he's able to stay healthy and you get him involved in this offense, he's going to make some things happen. So overall, I expect this Bills offense to still be one of the best in the league top five no worse than top 10 with James Cook there I think that he's going to have a pretty big role in this offense you don't spend a second round pick on a glorified gadget player you get what I'm saying doesn't really make too much sense because if Buffalo didn't view James Cook as a legitimate weapon that they didn't have a plan for him and they just thought that he was just going to be a backup running back behind Devin Singletary. I don't think they would have used that selection on him. You could have went so many different directions, but I'm excited about this offense. I'm not expecting to drop off. Ken Dorsey is somebody who has a really good relationship and rapport with Josh Allen. They're pretty much on the same page when it comes to what concepts they love to run, what Josh Allen is comfortable with. And Ken Dorsey, of course, is probably going to add a couple of more wrinkles there. This offense isn't going to be exactly the same as Brian Dable because every offensive coordinator, every head coach has their own philosophy. But he's probably going to run similar things that Dable has ran in the past. But he's probably going to add his own wrinkle on things. So really excited about this Bills offense. Let me know how you guys are feeling about the Buffalo Bills offense going into the 2022 NFL season down in the comment section down below. The New York Jets had the worst defense in the NFL in 2021. It got off to a really rough start, year one under head coach Robert Sala, but going into his second season with the New York Jets as the head man, how improved is this defense going to be this upcoming NFL season? Because they ranked last in almost every statistical category possible. Not only that, but the offense didn't do them no favors because even when the defense was able to get a stop, the offense would just go three and out, and the defense would be right back on the field. On top of that, Robert Solid didn't really have too much to work with last season. And around this time last year, I made a video saying that 
the Jets were most likely going to have one of the worst defenses in the league. Of course, many New York Jets fans got upset with that statement because it's the offseason. Everybody loves to hear optimism. Nobody wants to hear anything that sounds pessimistic or nothing that doesn't pertain to their football team being good. Well, if you go back and you remember Robert Sala's first year as a DC for the 49ers, their defense struggled. And their defense started to improve around year two. The longer he stayed, the DC as the 49ers, every year they got better. So going into year two, I think this defense is going to take a tremendous leap. And I'm not saying that this is going to be a top 10 unit, but I definitely feel it's going to be incredibly close, probably around top 12, top 13 in the NFL. You have Carl Lawson coming back. Jets fans were really hyped about him when he got signed in free agency last year from Cincinnati. He had a phenomenal camp. There were a lot of New York Jets reporters who were raving about his performance during fall camp. However, he suffered a Achilles injury, which sidelined him for the whole entire season. He's going to be coming back. You have John Franklin Myers, who had six sacks tied for the most on the team with Quentin Williams. You have rookie Jermaine Johnson, who the New York Jets stole late in the first round of this past year's NFL draft. And I say stole for a reason. They stole Jermaine Johnson because I thought he was a top 10, top 15 player. I was incredibly surprised that he almost slipped out the first round. He has so much potential. He is explosive. He's really bulky, good against the run. If you go back and you watch Florida State last year and you watch their defense there is no way that you're going to miss Jermaine Johnson the dude was a machine wrecking havoc on every single offense that Florida State's defense was matched up against so I really like what New York has to work with when it comes to their pass rush their defensive end slash edge rush position we can't forget about Quentin Williams six sacks last year he's one of the New York Jets best players on defense probably their best player that they have right now you have Sheldon Rankin Solomon Thomas so I think the defensive tackle position although you would like to see a little bit more depth at that position I think it's pretty solid you have two really good starters you have Quentin Williams and you have Sheldon Rankins who also is pretty solid linebacker is where I have some concerns at CJ Mosley came back last year and he was pretty solid okay he had 168 tackles two sacks two tackles for loss two pass deflections he was voted the New York Jets defensive MVP last year but kind of would love to see him step up his game in coverage Quincy Williams you signed him um really early into the season he had a pretty okay season considering this is somebody who didn't have a full off season to learn the New York Jets playbook and there are many people inside of the Jets organization from 
the articles I've read who are really high on Quincy Williams, they feel he has potential to really elevate his game in 2022 with the fact that he's going to have a full offseason to learn Robert Sala's system. He's going to be a little bit more comfortable going into this year because the New York Jets didn't really do that much to improve the linebacker position. So I think that they're really banking on Quincy Williams, who happens to be the brother of Quentin Williams. I was today's years old when I just found that out. He has a high motor, really good speed, but I feel that the New York Jets kind of are swinging for the fan with him. There's not really a guarantee that he's going to perform up to the level of expectations that they are hoping that he will. And there's also a good possibility that he could end up, once again, not having a good season. So for the New York Jets, this is a really big boom or bust player. But if he does end up panning out and he develops and he plays very well this year, then you got yourself a bargain. However, if he doesn't, then you're probably going to end up back at the drawing board come next year's NFL draft looking to draft a linebacker with your first couple of picks and then I don't really know how the other linebacker position is looking I don't really think that the depth is all that great at linebacker neither so CJ Mosley or Quincy Williams God forbid goes down with an injury I think it may be game over for the New York Jets. So you're hoping that Williams and Mosley can stay healthy. And you're also hoping that you get good play out of both of them. Because the run defense wasn't all that fantastic. And it all starts with the big boys up front. But you also got to have good linebackers who can come in and clean up those tackles. And, you know, help things out in the run department. So if the linebacker play doesn't improve this year... The New York Jets run defense could struggle. And C.J. Mosley wasn't even bad. He was he was solid. But if you look at PFF, the grades, which are what most people go off of when it comes to determining how good a certain player is at their position, they're looking at PFF grade for C.J. Mosley, and they're going to say, eh, I don't know, JT, I don't know. And if you look at Quincy Williams' PFF grade, you're going to say, ah, ha, ha. I don't know about these linebackers, JT, but when it comes to C.J. Mosley, I would just disregard the pro football focus grade. Yes, it is an extra data point to look at, but I don't think you should fully determine how good a player is based off where pro football focus grades them up as. I think C.J. Mosley is one of those players who played better than what pro football focus graded him out as. So the linebacker position still is a question mark for me. But for cornerback, if you're a Jets fan, you have to be in love with the talent that you have at cornerback this year. This is probably the most talented cornerback room that the New York Jets have had in a very long time. We already know about Sauce Gardner. You dropped him with your first pick in this past year's NFL draft. He was my number one rated corner over Derek Stingley. Very good man-to-man corner. He never gave up a single touchdown in all his years playing for Cincinnati. Remind you, this is somebody who held his own in the college football playoffs against Jamison Williams. So for Sauce Gardner, he has a really tough season ahead of him because the New York Jets have one of the hardest, if not the hardest schedule in the NFL. They face 
great team after great team after great team. I think they only played two teams who didn't make it to the postseason last year. Don't quote me on that. But they're going to be facing a lot of high-powered offenses and a lot of elite talent at wide receivers. So Sauce Gardner is going to be tested really early. And if he ends up being as good as advertised, he most likely should win NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Because if he ends up having a great rookie season... That means that he shut down some of the best wide receivers in the game. So I'm really excited about Sauce Gardner. I'm expecting some big things out of him. DJ Reed was signed to a three-year deal worth $33 million. I can't believe that the Seattle Seahawks couldn't keep him. He's a very good corner, very productive. Last season for Seattle, he had two interceptions and 10 pass deflections. You have Bryce Hall, who had 16 pass deflections last year. He was very solid, probably their best DB on the roster. However, you would have loved to see him catch more of those pass deflections. But I don't really know what the Jets are going to do with him. Are you going to maybe try to move him into slot? Because Michael Carter, he had a pretty solid rookie year last year. Even though he kind of declined near the tail end of the season, still a really good rookie campaign. But Bryce Hall, I mean, was your best DB on the outside. And he wasn't bad. He was pretty solid. So what are you going to do with him? Are you just going to keep him on the bench? Are you going to trade him, try to flip him for a pick or something to that magnitude? Because he is a starting caliber corner. And the New York Jets have three corners on the roster who are all starting caliber which is something that we haven't said about the New York Jets cornerback position in a very long time so for New York this is a very good situation to be in the fact that we're trying to figure out what Bryce Hall what his role is going to be in the defense this year tells you how good the Jets cornerback position is at safety Jordan Whitehead was signed to a two-year deal worth $14.5 million. I really like him a lot. One of my favorite safeties to watch. Many people graded him out to be one of the more underrated free agency signings. I would agree with that. LaMarcus Joyner got his season cut short due to a torn triceps tendon, which happened in the season opener last year. So he's coming back. So this defense has a little bit more, not even a little bit more talent. This is a defense that is way more talented this year than what it was last year. So for Robert Sala, he's going to have so much to work with. And this defense should definitely go from one of the worst in the league to top 12, top 13. And on top of that, with the offense now being more improved, they shouldn't be going three and out every drive because not only did the New York Jets have arguably the worst defense in the league, but they also had arguably the worst offense in the league. So whenever you have an offense that isn't good, that means that your defense is going to be on the field for more plays than what they should be. And I'm not going to spend too much time lecturing you guys on this because I let, I say it almost every single day. But too many people don't understand this. Too many people think that if you have a great defense, they're going to be able to bail you out time in and time out. And that's not the case all the time. Eventually, defenses get gassed. They get tired. And not too many people take that into account when it comes to determining how well a defense is going to perform. If you have an offense that does its job and is able to sustain drives and isn't going through and out every single possession, that's going to help out your defense. So 
I'm really excited about Robert Sala and what his defense is going to do in 2022. I'm expecting big things out of the Jets' defense going into this season. And I'm expecting this to be the most improved defense in the NFL for 2022. I want to talk about why Detroit Lions fans should be excited about DJ Chark. DJ Chark was signed to a one-year deal worth $10 million during free agency. This was one of my favorite free agency signings. And I think it's probably the most underrated. Because for Detroit, you're getting a pretty good deal. You're signing him to a one-year prove-it deal. He is a former second-round pick. He was drafted in the second round by the Jaguars out of LSU in the 2018 NFL Draft. He's 6'4", either 210 pounds or 198 pounds. I don't know how much the dude weighs because the websites are all over the place. Some websites have him at 198. Some websites have him listed as 210. But regardless, for the Lions... You're getting a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. DJ Chart was a Pro Bowler in 2019. He had 73 receptions, 1,008 receiving yards, 8 touchdowns on 118 targets, and was averaging 13.8 yards per reception. And when he's able to stay healthy and when he's on the field, he is a really good wide receiver run. And I think for the Detroit Lions, you are going to be pairing him up with TJ Hawkinson, Amar Ross St. Brown, and then when Jameson Williams is able to get on the field, you're going to have a really good wide receiving core that Jared Goff is going to be throwing to. And I think for DJ Chark last season, he got held back by Urban Meyer, and plus the offense with Trevor Lawrence was a big disappointment. But on top of that, he got a season cut short due to a fractured ankle that he suffered against Cincinnati, which ended up ending his 2021 campaign and ended up ending his career with Jacksonville. However, he was still able to make the most out of what was a bad situation. He caught two touchdowns. He had seven receptions, 154 receiving yards. And last year was a little bit underwhelming. His 2020 campaign was a little bit disappointing as well. This was somebody who was a pro bowler the year before that. In 2020, he only caught 53 passes, 706 receiving yards, five touchdowns, and 13.3 yards per reception. And the Jaguars didn't really do him no justice because remember that season, they act as if they were tanking on purpose. Gardner Minshew had to miss a couple of games due to injuries. And then when he was able to come back, they didn't want to start him for some reason. So they were pretty much throwing in the towel. And DJ Chart came out and said that, listen, he was frustrated. He was really frustrated with the quarterback situation. And not only that, but Urban Meyer was just harping on the dude for no reason at all. He was saying that he needs to play more physical I didn't really understand the criticism. The only thing DJ Chart really needs to do is to stay healthy. So if Detroit can keep him on the field and he can at least play 14, 15 games, that's a W. Because when he's on the field, he produces. Jared Goff is probably the best quarterback that he's had during his whole entire NFL career. Garner Minshew isn't bad. Even though he's a backup for Philadelphia, he's a starting caliber QB. You have Jared Goff who many people are trying to figure out if Jared Goff is the long-term answer at quarterback. Well, adding DJ Chark is going to help you figure out the answer to that question because Jared Goff was throwing to probably the worst receiving core in the NFL last year. 
Outside of TJ Hawkinson, he didn't really have anybody. Amar Ross St. Brown had his moments, but he still was a rookie at times. So for Jerry Goff, you're getting somebody who is a really phenomenal deep threat, has very good size. He's also a very good target inside of the red zone. You are getting what is essentially a true number one wide receiver. This isn't a friend's wide receiver two. This isn't somebody that has to prove himself as a wide receiver one. This is a legitimate wide receiver who can come in and be Detroit's best receiver day one this upcoming NFL season. I am really excited about what DJ Chart can do this year. I was really happy when Detroit signed them. I really was. And I wasn't expecting this, but I was telling many people before free agency started, I felt that whichever team signed DJ Chark, they were getting a bargain. And they only signed him to a one-year deal for $10 million. So if he ends up balling out, you can end up signing him to a longer-term deal. He's still fairly young. He has a lot of football left in him. But if he doesn't play well or he can't stay healthy, it's only a one-year deal. He'll end up being back on the market in 2023. So this is a really great signing. This was one of the most underrated free agency signings from free agency. And I didn't have the opportunity to talk about it during the time because I was so caught up with school and everything else going on in my life that I saw the signing and I've been waiting to talk about it and I haven't gotten to it until this point. I'm really enthusiastic about DJ Chark, man. I'm a really big fan of his. I think the Detroit Lions got a really big steal by signing DJ Chark and for agency. But you Lions fans, let me know how you guys are feeling about DJ Chark. What are your expectations for him this year? I think if he's able to stay healthy and he can play at least 14 games this year, I think he's probably going to be second on the team in targets behind TJ Hawkinson. He'll probably have around 70-something receptions. I can see him having 900, maybe 1,000 receiving yards because he's a very good deep threat. He can stretch the field, has very good speed, plus his size. So... Probably around 900,000 receiving yards. I can definitely see him having seven, six touchdowns this year. So those are my projected stats for DJ Chark. That's how I expect him to perform this year. On top of that, if he ends up playing pretty well, that's going to take some of the pressure off of Mar Ross St. Brown. Then when Jamison Williams comes back, that's when things are really about to get scary because then you're going to have to account for Jamison Williams' speed. And even if... Jamison Williams hasn't played up to that point. Defenses are still going to have to account for that. If you're a defensive coordinator, you're just not going to allow Jamison Williams to come out and have a coming out party against you. Anytime you have a wide receiver who has that kind of speed, you got to account for it. But DJ Chark is also really fast in his own right. Not as fast as Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams may be the fastest player in the NFL, but with DJ Chark, and the speed that he has, his ability to stretch the field, and what Jamison Williams can do, I think for defenses, you're definitely going to be on high alert whenever he's able to come back with him and DJ Chark both on the field. And we can't forget about TJ Hawkinson. So this offense definitely gotten a lot better over the offseason. The wide receiving core definitely improved. I think that DJ Chark is going to be one of those signings that we're going to look back at at the end of this season and say, dang, man, it's crazy. Nobody really talked about this at all. I think he can end up being a really good piece on that Detroit Lions offense.
NFL head coach is under the most pressure going into the 2022 NFL season. Now, I want to lay out my criteria for how I did this list. First of all, let me say that this is not in order, so I don't want to hear nobody in the comment section saying, oh, JT, this guy should be first, second, blah. This is in the list that I did based off who was on the most pressure. I literally just listed these guys in any order. So don't pay attention to how these guys come off the list because it doesn't matter. All you really need to pay attention to is who's on this list. And my criteria for this is that either these are head coaches who are one disappointing season away from being on the hot seat, or these are coaches that are already on the hot seat and have pressure to win now. So... The first head coach that I'm going to start off with is Brandon Staley. Last year, the Chargers went 9-8. They missed out on the playoffs, and it was pretty disappointing because Brandon Staley was tabbed as this phenomenal, innovative defensive mind. He was formerly the DC of the LA Rams. He took the LA Rams defense from being average to the best in the league. He became the head coach of the Chargers, and this defense was incredibly underwhelming, to say the least. I was really disappointed. And not only that, but they missed out on the playoffs. You feel me? Many people had the Chargers as either a sleeper team who not only could get into the playoffs, but maybe win a playoff game. But that didn't even happen. They went 9-8. and eight. They were fairly inconsistent. Their worst performance of the season was when they lost to the Houston Texans. So... With all of the talent that the Chargers acquired during this offseason, signing J.C. Jackson, trading for Khalil Mack, two of the biggest moves that they made on defense, this without a doubt is a playoff team. And on top of that, Brandon Staley is somebody who took a lot of risk last year. And there were some times when it paid off, and there were many times where it didn't pay off and it costed them games. So if the Chargers miss out on the postseason this year, he, without a doubt, is probably going to be on the hot seat. And if they even miss the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up parting ways with them. Because you underachieve for two consecutive years, and then you're really going to give him a third year? Because last year, many people were under the assumption that the Chargers were a playoff football team. And yeah, they didn't get into the postseason. So I don't know how the Chargers' ownership would feel about having two back-to-back disappointing campaigns. So this is a big year for Brandon Staley. This is a really tough division, but there are many people out there who are picking the Chargers to win this division. So the expectations are really high. Now, let's not confuse our expectations with the expectations that the front office has, but with the moves that the Chargers have made and the money that they have kind of dished out, they're expecting to make it to the postseason. And anything less than that will be extreme disappointment. And if they end up missing out on the postseason this year, Brandon Staley could find himself on the hot seat or either without a job. Nathaniel Ackett, first-year head coach with the Denver Broncos. Listen, even though he's a first-year head coach, he hasn't coached a single game yet as the head coach for the Broncos. He's on this list because they hired him. And I guess many people were coming with the assumption that this move was made because it would increase the Denver Broncos' odds at landing Aaron Rodgers, but we already know how that turned out. However, they were able to get the next best thing and trade for former Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. And when you have Russell Wilson, you plug him in, and essentially, 
this is a team that should be in the conversation for being the potential Super Bowl sleeper. Because for the last couple of seasons, right, what has been the narrative about the Denver Broncos? Oh, they're only a quarterback away. That's all they need. All they need is a quarterback. Well, you got that. You have a pretty solid offensive line. You have a really good group of weapons that Russell Wilson is going to be throwing to. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler. You have Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon in the backfield. So this is a pretty solid supporting cast that Russell Wilson has around him. The defense has some talent. However, with the new DC and whatnot, we don't know if he's going to be able to maximize this talent because Vic Vanger was a defensive-minded coach. So anytime you have a new coaching staff with some staff changes, you really have to kind of look at things from an open perspective because you don't really know what you're going to get out of the new DC because just because you have talent doesn't mean that the team is going to play up to it. So for Nathaniel Hackett, this is a really big year for him because there are many people who expect in Denver to make it into the playoffs. And when you have a Russell Wilson on your team, somebody who is one of the winningest quarterbacks in the NFL over the last decade, you're going to have pressure to win right away. So this isn't a season for Denver to miss out on the playoffs. Denver has to make it right away. Because you don't trade for Russell Wilson and say, okay, it's understandable if we miss out on the playoffs. The narrative with Denver over the past couple of seasons has been they're only a quarterback away. You have that quarterback position filled with one of the best in the game right now. So there's no reason why the Broncos should miss out on the playoffs. And if they do miss out on the playoffs, it will be incredibly disappointing. No excuses. Nathaniel Hackett in his first year has a lot of pressure to make it right away. And there's no reason why he shouldn't. The team is there. You finally have a legitimate quarterback. Denver should be in the postseason. And if they don't make it, mm, mm -mm -mm. Mike McCarthy comes up next for the Dallas Cowboys. In his two seasons as the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, he has a record of 18 and 15. His first season, 2020, he went 6 and 10, but the Cowboys dealt with a lot of injuries, so we all cut him a lot of slack on that year. 2021, however, the Cowboys went 12 and 5. They won the NFC East division, but they lost to the 49ers in the wild card round. And it was really disappointing. Really disappointing because there were a lot of Cowboy fans who expected the Cowboys to make a deep playoff run. And yes, Dallas Cowboy fans always have overly optimistic expectations, but last year, I felt their expectations were pretty reasonable. The Cowboys had one of the best rosters in the NFL last season, and even I was surprised to see them get bounced out in the first round by the 49ers. I was somebody who was going to bat for the Dallas Cowboys. I was thinking that they would at least be able to make it to the divisional round, or or maybe the NFC Conference Championship game but once again this is a team that despite having a talented roster still underachieved in a sense because yes you made it to the playoffs but for the Cowboys with what you had last year Trayvon Diggs Michael Parsons Dak Prescott having a really good year just for Dallas to just crash and burn in the opening weekend of last year's playoffs just was kind of unacceptable in a sense. It was kind of disgraceful in a sense. So for Mike McCarthy 
the pressure is definitely building. And even if Dallas makes it to the playoffs, I think for Mike McCarthy to return as the head coach for Dallas, he at least needs to win a playoff game. And that may not make a lot of sense to some of you guys watching this video. You guys may say, JT, if a coach is consistently getting his team to the playoffs, why should he be in jeopardy of being fired or being on a hot seat? Well, when you have an offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore, who is one of the hottest head coaching candidates in the league at the moment, I think the pressure is definitely going to build because if you're Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy can't get it done and you keep going one and done in the postseason and you have one of the hottest head coaching candidates on your staff, you could just go ahead and give Mike McCarthy the pink slip and go ahead and promote Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore is somebody who already has been highly regarded for NFL head coaching jobs and also college football head coaching jobs. And I think there's even an occasion where... Kellen Moore had his contract renegotiated by Jerry Jones to keep him as the OC in Dallas. So that just shows you how much Jerry Jones holds Kellen Moore in high regard. And then on top of that, you have Dan Quinn, who also was in the rumblings for a head coaching gig as well with the job that he did with the Cowboys defense last season. So you have a really good coaching staff. And Mike McCarthy potentially could have two replacements, for his job already on his staff. So if he doesn't end up delivering and Dallas ends up going one and done or they don't end up doing anything in the playoffs this year, I think there's a high possibility that we could see him getting replaced by Kellen Moore, which is why I think that the pressure is really building. And for Dallas, this is a team that is still super talented. I know they lost a couple of key pieces. You lost to Mark Cooper, Lael Collins, but... You still have an overall really talented roster. You still have one of the most talented rosters, not only in the NFC, but in the whole entire NFL as a whole. So there's no reason why Dallas should lose in the wildcard round. And there's no reason why they should even miss the postseason at all. And even though Philadelphia and Washington, both of those teams did get better, Dallas is still probably the most talented team in this division. Because for Philadelphia... There's a lot of things that are yet to be determined. We don't know how good of a head coach Nick Sirianni is because even though Philadelphia went to the playoffs last season with a 9-8 record, they were 1-8 against teams with a record of 500 or better. So we don't know how good he is at making adjustments. We don't even know how much Jalen Hurts is going to improve as a passer. So for the Dallas Cowboys, this is still the best team in this division. And even if they don't win this division, they still need to do something in the playoffs because there's no excuse for a team that has the kind of talent that the Dallas Cowboys have year in and year out to not be at least making it to the conference championship game at worst of the divisional round. So for Mike McCarthy, he has to make something shake this year for the Dallas Cowboys. I think that if they don't end up having a deep playoff run, I think he potentially could end up getting replaced. Ron Rivera, he's been with Washington for two years. He has a record of 14 and 19. They went 79 in 2020, and they also won the NFC East. It was one of the more surprising stories of the NFL. You had Alex Smith with his leg. And everything that went on, potentially life-threatening. We didn't even know if Alex Smith was ever going to play another down in the NFL. He ends up beating the odds. 
helps lead Washington to the postseason, even though they played in a weak division. But then Alex Smith has some injuries. Then comes Taylor Heineke, right? And Taylor Heineke was kind of this unsung hero during the Washington football team's playoff loss to the Tempe Buccaneers because Taylor Heineke balled out in that game. So there were many people who were thinking that, you know, maybe this was Washington's time. But unfortunately, they end up not being able to live up to those expectations. They went 7-10. and 10. They missed out on the postseason. And they did have some injuries. Ryan Fitzpatrick got injured really early on. I think if he would have been able to stay healthy, Washington potentially could have snuck in over Philadelphia for that last playoff spot. So you improved the quarterback position by bringing in Carson Wentz. So even though Carson Wentz isn't regarded as a top-tier quarterback, he's still an upgrade from what Washington has had in the past. However, he does have the tendency to play extremely reckless at times. He doesn't take care of the football in big moments. He tries to play too much hero ball. He also hasn't been somebody who has gotten along with teammates all that well. So for Ron Rivera, he has to be able to weather the storm. And I think he has a good possibility of being able to do this. But you also have some injuries on the defensive side of the football, such as Chase Young, who many people were expecting to have a breakout year, being in the running for a defensive player of the year potentially, but his season came to an end. So for Washington, with Chase Young coming back, improving the quarterback position, this is a team that should at least be able to be in that conversation for either the 6th or 7th seed. And then, on top of that, the offense has improved. You draft Jahan Dotson in the first round. You're going to be pairing him up with Curtis Samuel, who also missed time last year due to injuries. So this is a really fantastic offense that Carson Wentz is going to be in. He's also going to have way more weapons to work with compared to what he had with the Indianapolis Colts. So for Carson Wentz and Washington, you know, there's no reason why the Commanders shouldn't be able to make it into the postseason. They should at least be able to get a sixth seed or the seventh seed. And if they don't end up making it to the playoffs and they end up having another losing season, I think we could see Ron Rivera on the way out. Matt Rule. Matt Rule, if I was to rank all these coaches in order from the coaches who had the most pressure to the coaches who had the least amount of pressure, Matt Rule most likely would be number one. In two seasons with the Carolina Panthers, he's 10-23, 5-11 in 2020. Okay, that was year one. But year two, in 2021, Panthers fans were looking for improvement. And although this wasn't a team that was ready to make it to the postseason, this was still a team that you would have thought would at least be able to make a push for either the seventh seed or potentially even the sixth seed. You know, they didn't have to win it, but you would at least thought they would be able to hang around in the playoff hunt a little bit longer than what they did. But Sam Darnold didn't play well. The whole team kind of didn't play well. The defense is still very good, but the offense has a lot of work that needs to be done. 
And they did bring in offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo. You drafted Matt Corral in the mid-rounds of this past year's NFL draft. But it still looks as if Sam Darnold may end up getting the start. Unless Carolina ends up trading for either Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. So there is a lot of mountain pressure on Matt Rule. This is year three now. This is a year now where Panthers fans are expecting to make it to the postseason. At least if you're not expecting this team to be horrible and you already lost faith. But if you're being realistic, you give a coach two years. His first year, he's supposed to get the locker room established. He's supposed to build up the culture. Year two, you bring in some marquee free agents. And then year three, that's when you should be able to put it all together and you should be able to make that playoff push. However, for Carolina, there's still a lot of questions on this team, and quarterback is one of them. And for Matt Rule, I wouldn't want the quarterback position to be one of my biggest question marks, especially when I'm going into probably a make-or-break year for me. So for Matt Rule, this is somebody who is tabbed as a team builder. And when you have somebody who's tabbed as a team builder, you should be seeing small improvements every single season. However, the Carolina Panthers didn't improve. As a matter of fact, they got worse. So, year three, Matt Rule with Carolina, this is a make-or-break year for him, without a doubt. If the Panthers don't make it to the postseason, or they don't at least compete for a playoff spot, expect Matt Rule to be in the unemployment line come the start of year 2023. Next up, I have Dennis Allen taking over for Sean Payton as the head coach for New Orleans. Dennis Allen, this isn't his first rodeo being a head coach in the NFL. He formerly was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders from years back, and that didn't go successful. He didn't really win too many games, but the Raiders didn't really give him much to work with. And on top of that, the organization still was not all that good. So with New Orleans, you have so many pieces to work with. You have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. Your wide receiving core. You're getting Michael Thomas back. You're going to have Chris Olave. You have Jarvis Landry. James Winston did some pretty good things and the small sample size that we saw from him. You're going to have Pete Carmichael taking over as the play caller, which he has already called play several times throughout his tenure on the New Orleans Saints staff. The offense has always been top three, top five when Pete Carmichael has called plays. So the offense is going to be there. The defense has already been phenomenal since Dennis Allen has been the Saints defensive coordinator for the last couple of years. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL. So for Dennis Allen, anything less of a playoff appearance is a major disappointment. And if he misses the playoffs in year one, I think that there's a high possibility that he may not return. Because Brian Flores, depending on what goes on with his lawsuit, he could be in the mix for this head coaching job if Dennis Allen doesn't work out. You're also going to have Kellen Moore. You're going to have a lot of options out there if you're in New Orleans. So for Dennis Allen, I think out of all of the first-year head coaches who have the most pressure to succeed, he definitely is probably tied up there with Nathaniel Hackett. Even though I think Nathaniel Hackett, there's a Good possibility that maybe he could return. But for Dennis Allen, I don't really think there's any excuses for him for why New Orleans shouldn't make it to the postseason. I mean, your roster still, although you did lose a couple of marquee players such as Teron Armstead, 
Marcus Williams, you replace those with some really good pieces. Tyran Matthew, Marcus May, the offensive line is still going to be amongst the best in the NFL, even though the left tackle position is a little bit of a question mark because you don't know how well Trevor Penning is going to perform in year one. However, this is still a very talented roster, one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. So anything less than a postseason appearance is a disappointment. And last on this list, I have Lovey Smith. Going into his first year as the head coach for the Houston Texans, the reason why he has pressure is because I don't think Houston is really going to give him a fair shot. I really think that this is just a one-year thing. And if Lovey Smith ends up panning out, then he pans out. But the only way I think Lovey Smith keeps his job is if Houston wins seven or eight games, which I think is really unrealistic considering the fact that this is still one of the worst teams in the NFL from a talent standpoint. However, you do have Davis Mills, who showed a lot of promise his rookie season last year. He's the second-best rookie quarterback behind Mac Jones. You have Pat Pemilton as your offensive coordinator this year, somebody who is highly respected and is held in high regards in the NFL world for his play calling. I think he played a really critical part in Justin Herbert's rookie season. He played really well, and I think Pelt Hamilton was a big part of that. But for Lovey Smith, I mean, he has a lot of pressure because I don't think Houston is really going to give him a fair shot. I don't think they're going to give him two, three years. I think he's just somebody the past time until they're able to get the head coaching candidate who they really wanted, which some people speculate that it was Brian Flores, but with the pending lawsuit, it made things a little bit murky. So I don't really know if Houston views Lovey Smith as the long-term option, which is why he has to be on this list because he has pressure right away to not only be better than what Houston was last year, but kind of to win seven, eight games, man. I really think that's the only way Lovey Smith could potentially keep his job or either the Houston Texans have to be in a bunch of one-possession games that they lose that came down to the wire. So for Lovey Smith, man, I just think that he's in an unfair situation. I think, I don't really think he's getting a fair crack at having the opportunity of being the head coach for Houston. I just think that he's just there as a bridge head coach until the Houston Texans can finally get the head coach that they really want. So this is it for my NFL head coaches that are under the most pressure going into the 2022 NFL season. Let me know some guys who you guys would have put on this list. Some people are probably going to say Cliff Kingsbury, but I left him off simply for the fact that I think that with the with the fact that the Arizona Cardinals have gotten better every single year under Cliff Kingsbury, and the and also you got to take into account that they made it to the playoffs last year. I don't think that he's going to get fired if Arizona misses out on the postseason this year, but potentially he could be, but he recently just got an extension, I believe, so I still believe that he isn't really under the microscope that these other head coaches are. But if you want to put him on this list, I understand that. But this is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you leave a five-star review if you're listening to this on streaming platforms. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure that you go ahead and check out the JT Sports Podcast. Every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available.